it's Kaylee Bateman here for Mixing Light, and today I'm speaking with Putin Hagshanis. He's a colorist who's just arrived in Melbourne about a year ago and has done his master's in photography at RMIT here in Australia. But prior to that, uh, he is an Iranian who worked in Iran and then worked in Turkey in Istanbul and made his way out to Australia only recently. So Putin, it's so nice to have you here and it's so nice to have have a sense of what's happening in the broader world outside of Australia. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kaylee. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, yes, as you said, I've been doing most of my career uh, in Iran. Tehran is a, in a uh, major post facility and I just moved to Turkey, Istanbul actually. And I work on a couple of Netflix and Disney projects in there, and I just moved here. So I've been around for a while. So, You've yeah. been around, and you're very humbly glossing over, um, you know, you're very extremely well-known, uh, especially in Turkey, and you've actually graded an Oscar-winning feature film in Turkey. So, you know, just doing a few Netflix shows, you're being a bit coy. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about where you started in Iran and what the industry was like over there and how how you got your start in colour grading? Yeah, definitely. So my involvement in the colour grading world was a bit of like an accidental uh, event or or, or thing. So I was, my honours, my bachelor was in cinematography. So back then, in I think around 2008, I was so keen to be involved in the world of the cinematography and moving pictures and like camera works and lighting and all those beautiful things that all the DPs are doing. But we had this lecturer back in the university. So he was, uh, so I'm going to name him because I owe him a lot. So he's Mr. Alakush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, he was a top-notch cinematographer, director of photography, and a member of the IRSC, which is the equivalent of the ASC. So they, they've got their own uh, guild. So, uh, at the, uh, so at the same time, he was our lecturer, and also he had his own editing studio, which actually his wife, one of the, well, she was a very famous editor back then. And he was very into all the digital like so it was very new all, all the digital manipulation and stuff so he was very into it so he was every now and then he was to used to try you know different you know softwares like try them and stuff and he realized that i am also into computer and and digital image editing so he invited me over and so we had a lot of different you know try errors and like we had fun with digital pictures which there was like none back then in 2008 we didn't have anything to play with after a while so um the first digital cameras came to iran was by the uh one of the uh, famous distributors back then and it wasn't an alexa or ari or red or whatever so it was back then there was a company uh i think still uh they are working but not in the digital domain so they had this camera which is called SI2K. Have you heard it? No. I, I haven't. What's what's the SI2K? Yeah, there was a company called Silicon Imaging, and they had just one product, one digital camera, which is called SI2K, which was an industrial camera modified to be like uh function as a cinema camera 
which a Windows installed in the camera, which is it was very fun to work with that camera. You see, you used to you you could see, you could see the Windows logo when the camera was booting up, so it was fantastic to work with that camera. And so, before that camera became available, were you working with film at all, or did you really get into it? No, we didn't as a digital have... colorist. No, no, no. Uh, we didn't have any um, digital scanners back to two thousand eight. There was one, but just like rarely used and just used for a few shots in a whole movie and the quality wasn't very decent back then. So it was, it, it, it actually was like all the chemical lab and, and all the color timers were quite famous back then because they just know how to use the like Heseltine machine to time or grade, you know, um, mm-hmm. chemical process. So we didn't have any digital DI process back then. What we had was like uh, like digital cameras such as like SD, Sony SD cameras, which used to record on tape. And that was all the digital material that we had. So that camera was the beginning of the whole digital cinema back in Tehran, in Iran generally. And so, so since the camera was there and they needed someone to grade the Footage because it was the first time that people came across uh, with something called log picture, which they had no idea what is a log picture. So somebody had to grade the log picture for them. So I had a chance to. So my lecturer actually introduced me to the uh, company that was just like shaping up. They did because there they should be there should have been some some company to do all the grading. So now and I had the experience. So they just introduced me and it was just started. Actually, I started the whole digital cinema when I just, it was beginning. So yeah, I'm, I'm as old as digital cinema in, in Iran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. And what kind of material was being shot on these cameras? Like what sort of stuff were you grading? Feature films, most of them. Most of them. And there was another right. thing. So there were some other people uh, who had the experience, but with like, uh, so sometimes they sent the material outside of the country to be scanned and just they had the file scanned back. So we had some more experienced people, which I had the op- opportunity to meet them and learn from them. Uh, but like working on pure digital camera files was like just uh, was the process of the beginning of the process. And, and slowly red camera, red one cameras were in. And so, like, it was a nick and knack. So SI2K Red started together. and But everybody was demanding an Ari camera, and Ari was thinking how they should make a better workflow and more stand, standard workflow into the market. Because, because everybody was confused back then, at least in Iran, how we should deal with the digital files. What's a lot? What's the workflow? What's, how can manage the digital files? And where were you, where were you getting the information from? Because I, I remember early on, we didn't have some of the resources that we have now. Um, where, where did you find out what to do with these files or was it all just trial and error? So I had another chance uh, because the company that I used to work for, uh, so there was another company, like a sister company, which was, the, which was the distributor of those products. So we always had constant connection with the manufacturers such as, so they, they were the distributor of the ARRI cameras, like, like SI2K cameras. So, 
So SI2K was a company was based in Germany. So I had the I had the access to technicians in Germany and asked all those questions, and they were very willing to help. Uh, nicest people I ever met. And so yeah, I I I could update my information and you know like uh, find out how I should deal with those files because I was an I was not quite experienced back then in terms of using the digital files. So yeah. So uh, that was that was the biggest resource, information resource, and there wasn't much information on internet that time back then. But slowly, it was just like there was a huge difference between two thousand nine and two thousand ten and two thousand eleven because like it was like a like like a very very rapid process of updating. Everybody was trying to update themselves, and they were also so generous to post all the information over the net. So it wasn't that quite hard to. Uh, know more about you know the whole the whole process. And what kinds of films were being shot in Iran that you were grading? What was the the state of the cinema like? It was like fifty percent indie movies, fifty percent uh, funded by sometimes government, sometimes like uh, big big um, uh, facilities or like um, they had some big sponsors. Uh, so like studio, was, studio movies. Exactly, exactly. There is there there is there is not studio uh, type of movie making back in Tehran. Most of the movies are like done by the, the independent part of the uh, movie making world, and the other one was like founded by sponsors or like government. Mm-hmm. So uh, the studio system is not quite functional back back in back in Iran. I don't know. I don't know how is it now because I've been away from the country for a while, so I've no I've no idea what's happening now. But back then it was like like fifty percent, fifty percent. But the point was like the final cost of the filmmaking on digital camera, even in the very early days, was much much better, much much lucrative for the producers uh, rather using negatives. So it was a rush towards the digital production back then. So everybody wants to use the digital camera. And the company which I was working for, they realized that if they buy uh, film recorders, like Arri Laser recorders, they can like produce huge number of the movies every year. So we had three of those laser recorders. And we've, we've, been, we've been very busy back then. Because wow. everybody, you know, like to shoot on digital and record it on negative because we didn't have any t- sort of digital projections. All the projectors were like in film projectors. So uh, I remember there was, so there is this big festival happening every year, it's annually. And one year we had 20 movies to finish for that for festival. And it was, it was like a madness to finish 20 movies in a very short period of time. But that was that was the thing that we should we should we should we should have done it. So yeah, and we did it. That's amazing. So the process was you you'd have these films getting acquired on the new digital formats, and then you'd receive a turnover from editorial, and you'd conform it and grade it, and then finish it, and it would be put back onto film for projection. Exactly, exactly. And we've been direct connection with film labs, like chemical labs, because. Uh, having finished printing them on on negatives on films, and especially we had 
uh, Fuji RDI intermediates, which were amazingly good when we used them on uh, laser printers. And, and we always been in connection to get the best results, you know, out of those recordings. That's so cool. I mean, you, you know, I, I hear a lot about people having experience with like telecine grading and color timing and things like that, but I haven't actually spoken to many people who've had experience of printing back out to film, to be honest. And I don't know if, if that's just the I haven't come across it yet and there's heaps of people out there or if it's a special skill, but did you personally have much to do with the printing or is that handled by well, a different I had my department? colleagues, uh, which were uh, operators of those machines, but um, we usually we've been in connection in terms of uh, color accurate pipeline uh, because back then, Ari, mm -hmm. I think they still have it. I'm not quite sure, but... Uh, they had something called Ari Cube, which was a color pipeline from the beginning to the end. So you would have uh, you could have access to the um, like how Ari laser or Ari lasers are going to print, so you could monitor it on your reference monitor. But anyways, since everything was uh, like finalized in the chemical mm -hmm. lab, so we had to be in contact with chemical labs as well. But the thing is that you had to be very patient because so, one frames per second is like wow <laughs> right right yeah. oh so that's how fast yeah. it's get yeah. it one, printed one, back one. onto film and so so that ARRI system you're talking about was that like a viewer LUT like to emulate the film as you were grading is that sort of what it was or slightly different well, yeah yeah it was like a CMS program so uh um something like like Kalman or like Light okay. Illusion that we, we have these days. So it was like designed for that pipeline. So so you had to read your information from your monitor and you had film profiles so we could match them together, mix them together and generate the final film blot, which you could put it on your computer, on your grading software, and you could monitor what's going to be like roughly the final material. I say roughly because chemical yeah. labs were a lot of the the fluctuation of the result was just like heavy. So every now and then we would be surprised by what, a, what, we, what <laughs> we saw on the big screen after. Yeah, sometimes it was quite red, sometimes it was good. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. Um, I suppose that's still something that we have to deal with when you've got a digital cinema projection and <laughs> you know each each cinema is slightly different their lamps might be new or old or you know running at full power or not so <laughs> not much has changed in that respect you still put it out in the world and cross your fingers right <laughs> and so you so were in you were in that facility for how, how long roughly did you work there before you made the move uh, to turkey i think 12 years 13 years wow, so okay. it was very yeah, so I've been lucky actually before moving to Turkey. So I I I had the opportunity to grade Mr. Faradi's uh, salesman, which won the Oscar, and af it was after that which I received a lot of offers from overseas. So yeah, so wow. it was like a big big jump start for me to have some recognition yeah. to be exposed to a bigger world. Yeah, and and what was that grade like? Like what was that process like? Wow, well, I would say challenging. Um, so um, 
I had the chance to work with the director of photography, uh, Mr. Jeff Arion. He Back then, he was one of the most famous and experienced director of photographies in Iran. And, and I had the chance to work with him and I had the chance to talk with him because not only I learned a lot about cinematography from him, I learned a lot about, you know, life and experience of, you know, the professional experience of being in the industry because we had, we had, we had three months to work together because the movie took almost three months to grade and we did it twice. So we first, we did it based on uh, the references that Mr. Jeffrey showed me and we did the grade and so Mr. Faraday uh, joined later and he decided that we have to adjust some scenes and add a bit of like tone and touch to it. So we just, we said, okay, we have our grading. Let's do it another time and in a different way. And he was so happy second way, second time, uh, hopefully he was happy. Um, and I've never seen someone with that much energy in terms of working. So he just worked with us during the day until like 6 p.m. And then after 6 p.m., used to go to the audio until morning. And again, he was using us for the grading. I, I don't know how to explain. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and, and, but he, was, he was quite fine. I mean, working with him was quite fine. It was quite an experience. Working with so two I, giant icons. Yeah. I mean, in that context of working with people who had big reputations and on a, on a big film, I think it's quite bold to throw away the first grade. Well, I mean, I suppose you probably could have recalled it, but to make that decision to not to not alter it, but actually to go back and start again. I think that's, you know, I, I remember um, a colorist who I greatly admire as I was coming up, um, Martin Greer, saying that you need to be prepared to, you know, redo things and kind of admit when, okay, we need to make a change in direction, even if the client's in the room. Um, and, and can you tell me about that, you know, how, how it went when you made that decision to approach it again from a different, from a different direction? That's, that's so true. That's, I mean, sometimes you have to do it. Um, Sometimes, you know, like, um, so when, when, when you just made something, sometimes you have to just break it, break, break the whole thing and remake the whole thing again. It's like, it's like having a second, um, chance to work on the same thing. So now, you know, the challenges, you know, the issues, you know, the problems, but this time you're ready to tackle the issue. You're ready to fine tune everything. And you know what's the wrong, what's wrong in there. There was there there there's been time that you just work on the shot, which it wasn't it wasn't working. So it just like took a day to realize what's wrong with the shot. But the next time we were ready. So that the second the second time it was so faster and we were ready, and we mm. knew the issue. Sometimes you have to break it and remake it. You know, sometimes yeah, right. you just just fix it you have to break it and start over yeah not all the time maybe no yeah i know and knowing and knowing when you should do that 
you know, that's got to be a skill in and of itself. Um, I mean, I think that's really interesting what you say about like the first pass is almost a way to, you know, work out what the problems are going to be. It's like research, but it's like practical research. And then the second time that you grade it, you're coming to it with all of that knowledge that you've you've built up through that first grade. But it's something that doesn't happen very often, especially not in indie films. You just don't have the time. And I often think about like editors, you know, imagine if your first edit was the one that ended up being the edit for the film. Like they have a similar process, I'm sure, where sometimes they'll refine a scene or sometimes they might start a scene again. Um but often as colorists, we're not afforded that time. I mean, even, you know, you're saying you had a three-month grade for this film. Like even that's not a huge amount of time to grade it twice. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we I, I don't know luxury. what the question is. It's more of a comment. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we had the luxury of time for that project. Not so, so much time for that because uh, it should have been ready for the release and there was like a huge workload after the grading, waiting for the movie. But um, we had we had a time that we could do all the experiences and it it's not something like you, you could do it for every movie, definitely. Yeah. But the thing is that Mr. Faradi was, was, he was, he was ready for everything. So he gave us the time and Mr. Jafarian also the director of photography. He was so calm and like, um, and he knew, okay, it's if it's the way, so let's let's go that way and let's let's do it great. So yeah, um, but this was a very particular project that we had the luxury of time. Most of the indie movies, especially, you have to finish it in ten days, twelve days. So everything should yeah. be great. And everything should be ready when you're just starting because you don't have the time to go back and change everything. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's a shame that we don't get a chance to do that kind of hands-on research on every grade, though. Wouldn't that just be nice? <laughs> you exactly. think about how, how, much, how much more enjoyable the process would be as well. So, so tell me about, um, so after that, you, you said you got a lot of offers off the back of that film winning that very prestigious award and uh, it, it helped propel your career. Um, what was it about Turkey and Istanbul that made you go, yes, this is the one, I'll head over there? Mm-hmm. No, um, I, had, I, had, I had a great experience working in Istanbul. First of all, um, for the first project which I was invited to Turkey, came out one of the best selling movies ever in the history of uh, cinema in in, in, in and it was a biopic about one of the most um, famous Arabesque singers um, uh, in the history of the Turkish music and the company the digital cinematic company they spent a lot of time money effort making that movie and that was another jump start actually so by creating on that movie was like another big leap for me and then uh the director of uh, that same movie just invited me for another project that he had so it was an ongoing project then so i was being invited to um work on different projects and then 
Netflix, because Netflix and Disney just investigated a lot of money in terms of production in Istanbul because of the Turkish-speaking contents, uh, the amount of the production is just like in, unprecedented. It's huge. So they really need talents to work in there. So I had, I had the chance to work with a variety of different type of directors, cinematographers. But the thing that was quite different to me was just like I was so new to the whole industry in Turkey was the look of the picture. So the realism and the realistic approach to the cinematography in Iran wasn't quite the same practice in Turkey. So they wanted more pictorial approach to the picture. And I had to update my understanding about the whole industry because uh, I had to know what exactly they want. What's the taste of, you know, the whole um, industry in them. So I started to watch tons of Turkish movies to realize what's happening in them. But then I realized that they just invited me to stay away from the uh, mainstream look that they had. And they wanted to sound something, like, something different. So I thought, okay, so, yeah. Can you tell me more about the the difference between the two looks? So, what was what would you say? How would you describe the um, Iranian look, and how would you describe the Turkish look? Um, it's very hard to tell these days because now, like, just everything just like getting similar to each other. But back then, um, I would say Iranian look was a, was a bit more natural. So the eye, so there is a saying that eye is the reference. And what you see on set, you should like produce it in movie, but in a better way. Uh, so okay. you didn't used to go like crazy far away from realism back then. But nowadays it's like, like it's the same as everywhere else. But back then it was like, I don't know, maybe that was because, because most of the DPs that I worked with was migrating from the film world to the digital world. So in film world, you are like, you've got few film stocks and you've got the chemical lab. So you're not, you're not, you're not able uh, to do all the crazy things that like these days are just being done. I, I wouldn't say by crazy mm. in the good way. But, yeah, but, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but back then, it was like, stay to the realism, stay to the reality. Skin tones should be the most proper skin tones that you could have. Plus mm. should be like in a correct way. So everything should be like fine-tuned. Uh, but I like that uh, that saying, the eye is the reference. I like that. Yeah. It's the eye on set. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I like that. And um, But in Turkish cinema, it was a bit more pictorialistic approach to the whole whole picture so it should have it should have had mood it should have had like like uh um, glow to it it should have had like color to it contrast to it so i had to learn how to do it but at the end of the day i just mixed them together so i just borrowed little things from different like uh, aspect of the like iranian looks turkish look like and DPs, uh, so they used to invite DPs from Eastern Europe. So again, it was the third look that was like in, uh, introduced to the whole thing. So I also had to learn how to do it the way they just do it in Eastern Europe. So what's the Eastern Europe taste then? So and and what was the Eastern Europe taste? Um, ah, yeah, the most pictorialistic approach to the picture, I would say. 
Yeah, it's very hard right. to define it. It's very hard to define it. But I, I would say like Eastern European director of photographers changed Hollywood picture. Changed, I think at some point in history of the Hollywood movie making, they changed the approach. They changed the approach to the picture. Like Janusz Kaminski, what, what he's been doing, like like in contrast to like like standard Hollywood look, which is like yeah. very close to Iranian look, actually, honestly, I would say, because like most accurate skin tones, but but feeling free to do to go beyond the horizons of like realism is a scary thing. You have to you really need to know what you are doing. Yeah, and like why you're doing it, surely, you know, like what what the feeling for the audience is, is going to be. I always think of the European look as being very soft, you know, it doesn't have as much contrast and, you know, it's dark and, you know, it's, it's like chalky blacks. This is just in my mind, you know, like chalk, chalky blacks but low and subtle and the highlights are gentle you know, maybe it's like a, you know, having the sun at a different angle from what we're used to seeing in Australia as well helps. But um, I don't know, would you, would you say that's in the ballpark? Yes, exactly, exactly. And it was the first time I was experiencing working with the same material. So honestly, I was so confused. So I didn't know how to, should I push the blacks down? Should I keep them soft? Should I? Mm. So because I, it wasn't my my... Uh, usual practice working that on that type of picture so honestly i was i was super confused what should i do that kind of picture yeah so slowly i learned how to okay no this should be that way the contrast is like should be soft should be dark you know skin tones are like warmish so yeah and and was it the dps that kind of helped you with that understanding by asking you to to grade in certain ways or you know did you were you close with the dps in in learning that visual language uh for the first project unfortunately i was alone so uh oh. yeah so uh the wonderful dp martin who's passed away uh this year and unfortunately oh, I'm so sorry. yeah so he had to be on another project and he was far away from the reach of the internet or any sort of you know like um, possible image transfer uh, location. Uh, so I had to do it with the discussion and 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 um, with with the. Um, so we had like just like meeting with the director, and he tried to explain the whole thing to me. But unfortunately, I was I was a bit a little bit alone, so I had to experience it myself, and I had to learn it myself. But after that. I had the opportunity to work with the uh, director of photographs from Europe, from Germany and from Eastern Europe. And then we had more discussions and I learned slowly from them. Okay, that's the approach. That's the way. And it was a quite a successful experience in terms of learning new ways of grading. That's so fascinating. Your instincts must have been good that first time when you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know. I <laughs> that is just like working fine but i enjoyed and at the end of the day i enjoyed working on that movie because the outcome was i think it was successful and i received a, a lot of um compliments uh, from from the people that i just like i 
um, I believe that they are just telling the truth. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. great. And um, you were working for sort of large facilities, both in Iran and in Istanbul. They were both facility positions, like on staff covers jobs. Yes, fortunately. Um, so there was uh, the big one in Iran, and the other two. In Istanbul, 1000 Bull and Image, which now still they are the biggest uh, post-production facilities in the town. And so I had another opportunity to work with colleagues, colleagues, colleagues in there and share ideas and tools. From I love that. Yeah. yeah. You, you learn a lot during those discussions with other colleagues. So Yeah, yeah you really do. Yeah, it's... Exactly. They were very willing to share their techniques and they, they didn't want to keep all those techniques for themselves. So they were really sharing, willing to share all those secrets. That's, that's lovely. And what kind of, um, did, you, did you work on any particular uh, tools or were you a little bit like open to lots of different systems or did they have like an in-house system that everyone was on? Yeah. Um, so back in Tehran, we started uh, with uh, Uridas Speedgrade, which is then became part of the Adobe Speedgrade, and then just like merged into the Premiere. So there is no more Uridas. Uh, it was a, it was a good piece of software. Then we moved to Resolve after after a while. Uh, but my first experience with Baselight actually was in one thousand volts in Istanbul. So I invited over for. Um, uh, to work on a project on a feature film and they said we got baseline we don't have resolve here and i said i'm gonna do that let's do it so i had no idea how baseline you know, just works and i had the biggest chance in there because it was around 2010 i think i don't remember correctly but i met andy minuth in there so he was a chief colorist uh senior colorist um in 1000 world and he used Baselight and he shared a lot of information about Baselight with me. Now he's one of the wow. heads of the Filmlight company. He's worldwide famous. But I had the I had the I had the opportunity to meet him and it was my first encounter with Baselight system in total. I think the version was what, like 4.4M, if I recall correctly. And it was quite different from the Baselight. Kind of software that we have these days, special in version six, which is awesome. But yeah, so I, I was very, very curious to know more about the baseline, and eventually I had the chance to to meet one of the masters of the baseline back in then. And yeah, from so and then uh, other companies they had Resolve, which is still have Resolve. So it was juggling between baseline and Resolve back in Istanbul. That would have been fascinating to learn from Andy. I just can't think of a better teacher. How fortunate! Um, and and did you find it? Did you find it a challenge? Like obviously, any new software is a challenge. But did it have any particular challenges moving into that, or were you just like a duck to water? Um, the first thing was, I think it was still in four point four M back then. Was scene referred grading, which I had absolutely no idea. What is the scene referred grading? What is an what is an IDT? What is an RRT? Which is an URT? Mm. So because in June, just like in my normal pipeline, we had the lots and we had the like show lot, we had the like display 
target light and, and those like normal situations that everybody knows about. But the baseline was quite different. So again, I was super confused in the very first like I'm using baseline, which was like, what, how, what, what, what is that? What's the same referred? How should I set the right IDT? What's an ODT? And fortunately, we had Andy in there to explain about all of these things. And honestly, I fell in love with scene referred grading right from you, you know, the first day I used the scene referred because even the tools were like feeling different and the, 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 the uh, possibilities were like endless. So you had, could like, do the grading and you had different ODTs. So you just like could deliver in a different like target displays easily. So yeah, yeah, honestly, you know, it was like the concept of the scene referred grading actually just took shape in my mind by using the baseline the first time. I know that you use ACES a little bit it just through conversations that I've had with you. Were you using ACES in Baselight as well as Resolve or how did you like to approach that? Honestly, I quite like the TCAM look. Uh but it's only okay. available in base light. But anywhere else, I mean, Aces is 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 like wonderful if you need it. So, um, and mm. um, honestly, I prefer to use Aces on Resolve more than Resolve's own color managed system. That's that. That's a personal preference, and it depends on the type of job that you are grading. Mm. But honestly, if I'm doing Grading on baseline, I definitely prefer to use TCAM because the mixture of the TCAM and all the tools and like uh, color aware tools that the baseline uh, has, uh, they, they've got a better relationship between the tools and the TCAM. In my opinion, maybe maybe. Okay. And 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 what are you looking for uh, when you make that decision about what like ecosystem of color management you're going to? use for a particular project like do you look at how the footage responds under the different color management settings or how the tools respond or is it a contrast or a saturation thing um so uh, like like there are a lot of people who really dislike the look of the aces so because there is a look like implemented baked in aces color pipeline which is a very cool key look in my opinion um so it depends so the, the most important thing, you know, like to not having a personal preference, it's all about discussions with the DP and the director and if they really like it. Mm. So the thing is that I'll show them mm. all the options that we've got, like in baseline, it's TCAM and ACES or like maybe sometimes video grade, which uh, video space, which is the baseline offers and resolve in like uh, its own CMS and ACES. So we can... We can do the comparison. We can mis- we can decide which one is much more suitable suitable for the movie. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is that like what people would see on their screens or on a big screen. So it's mm. not a personal preference, and I sh- I think I shouldn't have a personal preference because then everything would be again would look like the same. I agree with you so much about that. And I was actually having this discussion just the other day with a different colorist, uh, you know, about having that flexibility and looking at what works for the particular show um, and, and not being too tied down to just having one way that you like to work. But, you know, when you're in a high-pressure situation, sometimes it can be really nice to just fall back on 
the things that that work for you and then you find yourself doing the same things over and over and over again um but yeah I, i really like that approach of just seeing what works for the show and what what gets the dp and the director to see the footage in the way that they wanted to see it of course i love that and and so you must feel pretty confident grading in all kinds of tool sets and all kinds of scenarios and like i know that you kind of bilingual with the base light and the resolve um but even within them you know you you would feel as confident grading in like da vinci wide gamut as you would in aces yeah i mean um so you have to be ready for all the challenges for for you know uh, for each each different color pipeline would bring for you i mean so aces Aces has get got uh, its own challenges as well as the CMS, as well as the you know like the DaVinci White Gamut, as well as the you know the TCAM. So each of them they've got pros and cons. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So working working enough on all of those uh, color pipelines would like um, add to your experience as a colorist. So. I think you should, as a colorist, uh, should color like a colorist generally should try all of those these those uh, color color pipeline workflows to realize what's the abilities, what's the what's the uh, outcome of using you know uh, the particular color color managed system. Then you could choose more wisely which mm-hmm. one would be much more suitable for that show. So yeah. And and do you like to work? Um... And I know this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but this is where I, I kind of get really nerdy and interested. Um, do you like to work project wide in that, you know, like say, for example, you were setting up as um, Re- Resolve Color Managed. Would you would you work project wide Resolve Color Managed or do you like to do it in nodes? I definitely would go for the project settings. Yeah. It's easier for me. Okay. There is nothing wrong to do it in, yeah. in, on your not structure. But honestly, um, like uh, if if you take a look at how Baselight actually uh, works, so you set the proper color managed system for your project, and you go through that project. Sometimes you change it to different things. So because tags can be color space agnostic, uh, so you could you could have different color space for different stacks. But generally, in an overall thing, you have a general like in color engine which is processing your 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 material so i would prefer to go like a project global project setting for for the show for the project honestly i am I'm, I'm the same usually i'm the same usually for um setting up color management and i know there's like lots of debate around it and some people like to work scene referred for some operations and then come out of scene referred and do other things in display referred spaces and you know I I think it depends on the show that you're working on but I like the tidiness of working project wide and I also like how it kind of emulates that you know simpler telecine style of working where you've got one contrast curve one tone curve for the whole show and you don't go outside of that so all of the choices that you make get funneled through that and there's no option to kind of go outside of that I think that kind of gives you some kind of coherence to the piece that that you might 
break. Um, you might fiddle around with too much otherwise because you'd, you'd have the option, so you might try. Um, but in, in Baselight, when when, you, um, when you're working colour management in Baselight, do you ever mix and match your RRTs and um, your I, – I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the exact terminology, but do you ever sort of work in TCAM on your timeline but ACEs for your RRT or anything like that? Mm, so you have to define if you're working with the TCAM or if you want to work with the ACES because if you switch from ACES to TCAM after like your grading, it wouldn't look correct. But you can use an RRT yes. that's different. Yes. Like, yes. But I mean, do, you, do you ever do that? That's too complicated for me. I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we just, so like, like, like most people, I use like fixed node trees in results because it gives peace of mind and, and, and simplifies the whole process. So for instance, node number, whatever, is just always my skin tone nodes and node one, two, number one and two and three is just like my basic gradings. So I don't need to think about how many nodes I'm going to make and, and keep it, keep it simple. I mean, it just like makes the whole the whole life easier. Like if 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 you keep everything just like as simple as possible. I love that. Do you like to work with looks or lots or anything like that? Do you have a little set of secret sauce that you like to bring out? You don't have to tell me exactly what it is. Oh no, that's that's fine. There is there is <laughs> also the internet. There is no secret sauce anymore because. <laughs> Yeah, all over the internet and so yeah yeah and and these days like if you search about anything you could find it but uh i prefer a few um sin referred uh look uh, development tools which i really quite like it um because then when when the look is just like work for the sin referred color pipeline you will have access to different varieties for for odts or drts so you just use a particular look for your Rec 79, and that same look works very good for your P3, sometimes Rec 2020, depending on the you know, type of the curve that you're using. But you're not limited to very like limited Rec 709 lots that that you might be using for in your pipeline. Then, because if you shift it to different oddities, which these days you have to deri- deliver a lot of different deliverables in terms of color space and contrast and curves and everything. So you have to be, I mean, it's easier. It makes life easier to develop a look in a thin referred um, space. So there are particular softwares to do that. Uh, honestly, we had the opportunity uh, and, and thanks to you. I mean, um, so you, you you explained a lot about the, you know, the chromogen in baseline version six, which is a thin referred look development. So it's it's much easier, and the point is that if you if you use this chromogen, for instance, to develop your look on Aces and Baseline, you can share it to Resolve, you can share it to uh, VFX departments. So everybody would be in the same page in terms of using the same look. So it's not like variety as different, and you can have different variety of the same look in Rec Seven or Nine P Three, which almost looks the same. So yeah, I would love to uh, use the look uh, designing and look development programs plugins slash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, cr- Chromagen is really something special. I think um, I've never seen anything like it before. Um, for for people who aren't familiar with what we're talking about here, 
version six of Baselight uh, has a, a new operator called Chromagen, which is a primary operator, and it gives you the color space sort of like uh, you can almost bold it and shape it using what they're called stages. Um, so you're, you're directly molding the color space itself, not doing secondaries or um, anything like that. It's, it's, it's one of those things that you almost have to do. I can't really explain it without showing it, but they visualize the color space either as a, um, as a cube or as a EAB color model. Yeah. Yeah. It's the <laughs> EAB color model, but what's that other shape? Well, I don't know why I can't remember the name of it right now. Anyway, they've got a different couple of shapes that they yeah. visualize this color space in. And you use stages to define things like contrast, color crosstalk, um, the amount of saturation in different parts of the image, um, you know, things things that you might otherwise use curves for, like hue versus hue or hue versus sat, you can do there. And you can develop really quite intricate and specialized looks. You can define densities for different tones and different different shades of colors. And um, you can come up with something that's really unique. And you can also, um, I think you could emulate references pretty precisely with something like that as well. But, you know, it's it's quite new and I'm sure that the possibilities with it are just going to open up as people start to talk about how they're particularly using it, like all things. Um, but so, so the workflow that we're discussing now would be to sort of use that tool to, you know, within a colour managed project, um, to then output a look in, in like either a cube form or whatever form you can output um, and then you can pass it around to various different parts of the production so you might use it, you know, on a split or in the camera on set. You might use it for dailies. You might use it for visual effects and then you might also use that as your show look um, that you're grading underneath when you get to the DI or you might refine it in the process as well, you know, because it's always going to be open. Um, but that's a lot of talking from me. I should stop and actually talk to who. Oh, that, that is a comprehensive <laughs> explanation because it's already, yeah, new, and I think it's gonna it's gonna be a very you know it's gonna be a favorite tool for many colorists very soon. Yeah, and I think DPs are gonna really like it as well. Yeah, because it speaks in the same language as the DPs language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can really see that being quite useful when you're sitting down and doing that look development at the start of a show. So we've gotten as far as Istanbul, and how long were you in Istanbul for? Um, it was an on and off situation, so it was coming and over, like it's like coming and going. Of I think it was started from 2017, but I think from 2020 I just moved to Istanbul. Because I, I, I wasn't enjoying any more working on Iranian productions. It was, it was quite a bit different from the day that it just like worked and worked with like masters of the, the industry. Uh, so I thought it's time to move. And then I just moved mm -hmm. to Istanbul. And yeah, spending time in Istanbul, I had the opportunity to move uh, to Melbourne. So now I'm in Melbourne and try to um, find my position. And fortunately, I've got a wonderful friends, DP friends here. So now we are 
yeah, we are working together and slowly, slowly the, 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 the whole business is just like developing here as well. Yeah, so when I first met you, your little, your not, not little, but your shop in Melbourne had just opened like the week before um, and I met yourself and your business partner and um, you had two stories. One of them was with production gear and the other one was for post-production and uh, you, of course, were heading up the post-production. Um, you had a couple of pretty impressive systems there for grading. And um, what what was it that brought you to Melbourne to begin with, though? Was it that business or was it the study that you did at RMIT? Um, most, probably, most probably it was RMIT's um, study. So I thought – so I had, I had, you know, like – my progress through the years were was mostly towards the technical part of the spectrum, but um, I really had uh, actually I really uh, was super keen to know more about the theory, know more about why I'm doing this. So I I did a bit of research and um, I actually finally uh, applied for a master of photography course, which after a few interviews with uh, lecturers of RMIT, so they just like pick me. And it just, it just, the outcome, the outcome was like unprecedented. I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that, you know, how the outcome would be, but it was massive. I had no idea how they were going to change my whole perception and perspective to the world of the color and imaging and digital imaging and everything. Wow. So, yeah. So I, at least I, I, when when start a new movie, I I got like few whys, big, big whys and big question marks in my mind that I have to answer. So why should I, why I'm doing this? Why I'm choosing that color palette? What's the, what's the, what's the correct approach to that movie? So, 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 so um, the way that I'm just doing the grading is quite different from the way that I'm just been doing it, just like by following the instructions and following the techniques. So it's like a like a balance of the theory and 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 the technique all together. So it was, and no, I I feel it was quite necessary to realize why why you should choose that particular color palette for that particular movie. Is it all about the genre? Is it is it all about the feeling? Is it is it all about the subconscious uh, effect of the colors on the audience's mind and you know the feeling of the texture of the picture and every, everything is in just involved. And I had the opportunity to meet masters of the industry at RMIT, and I'm quite thankful to all of them. All the all my lecturers were fantastic, so I feel much more confident these days in terms of approaching to a picture. Even mm. just for photo editing, it's 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 a quite different practice these days for me. Oh, you make me want to go and do a master's of photography. That's, that's <laughs> I, awesome. I <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, I think it's great when you're coming into a country that you haven't lived in before to, you know, I mean, when you were going over to Istanbul, you were going into work environments where you were meeting people, but coming out to Australia to be part of a course and to have that kind of built-in network that you get when you're studying, you know, that's really great, you know, because it can be hard to make friends as an adult when you move. Um, I've moved a couple of times and 
as an adult and I found that yeah, it's it's not like it was when you were kids and you just, you know, oh, we're in the same class, so we're friends or <laughs> I've got a little boy and he's just like, oh, you're my age, let's be best friends, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit harder when I've you're an adult. Lucky. I've been lucky. I've got, I've got the best friends at RMIT, you know, from, from the classes, which I, which I, I, I love them. I, I wouldn't think that I could have those friends in my life in Australia. So yeah, those are the best, best people that I just met already. And I quite appreciate it. Yeah. Some of them are just like huge photographers based in Adelaide, based in Melbourne, based in Sydney, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And you met your current business partner, who's somebody who you actually knew from Iran, who you happened to meet him in Melbourne and came up with the idea of teaming up to open AZ Studios. So that was a good chance meeting as well. Absolutely. So he, he's got a big rental house. Uh, still, he's got a big rental house in Tehran, so he's, he's quite active in their um, uh, like uh, in providing equipments for big productions and uh, he realized that i'm here and i realized that he's here so we had some few meetings with each other and we thought i don't see why not we should do something in terms of what we love and what we are going to do and he provided all the necessary infrastructure for the post-production and now he's just developing his production part of the business um, and uh, I think I think um, in in the next few years, the whole production would be post production production of the AZ Studio would be would be a very successful um, business. Hopefully, it depends. You know, it's hard to it's hard to start uh, when when yeah. you just arrive, but it needs a lot of effort. It needs a lot of like. Um, um, extra hard work that you really don't need to do it after a while when you find when you when you establish your business somewhere else but you have to do everything else again from the zero point it's this is what it is but it's one yeah yeah so you know i think that's true of anyone you know moving and, and working in a new market whether you're starting a business or whether or not you're a freelancer who's just entering a new market because you know you're you're very established and extremely well known overseas, and you're just now starting to get to know Australian directors and DPs, and you know building that reputation here. So can you tell me a little bit about what that process has been like for you, and what kind of work you're working on now? Well, honestly, this is a very slow process. You know, knowing people, getting to know people, you know, and yeah. and this is all about the trust because nobody wants to. Yeah. To uh, work with someone who they don't have trust on them or they don't know them, so you should slowly, slowly get to know more people. And this is the process that we are just doing it. And every day we meet new people, we meet new production houses, we meet new DOPs, we meet new directors, and we try to uh, have as much as possible meeting with them, speaking, talking, sharing ideas with them, and and grow the market. In a, in, a, in a positive way but honestly it's a very mm. slow process and it needs quite a bit of time but but again again you know um it's 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 a big challenge 
but it's the very lovely and very uh, delightful challenge because that's mm. that's that's what I love to do. So it's like all the new ground to play, all the new people yeah. to meet. So why not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I mean, that that idea of a lovely challenge is quite nice. Um, but it, it is like, you know, even though we live in a global world and you have colorists who are quite famous now, people know who the, who they are and, you know, I could probably name 10 colorists in London who I've never met who I'd be happy to work with. You know, it's, it's, it's different now than the way it used to be when I first started where it was like, what's a colorist? Who's a colorist? You know, it's, it's more widely known. But at the same time, I don't know if it's because Australia is quite small, but it's, it seems to be a tough, it's a tough market to crack into. Um, and, and you've got a lot of networking that happens and um, what am I trying to say? I suppose relationships, like you say, take a long time and, you know, you kind of grow up together in the industry in a way in Australia. There's like a lot of, you know, oh, we met at film school and we're still working together after 15 years and, you know, all, all of those people start to get bigger and bigger jobs together and they've got these little networks. And uh, I can only imagine that would be quite tricky to crack into. But, you know, your personality is so warm and so kind and um, I, I think that, you know, people do enjoy having, having a chat with you. So that's got to, you know, definitely help. That's so kind. I don't of know it. if that's a question either. That's just a that's just a statement. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's it's the same as everywhere. If you just want to start over, even in in, in Iran, which I I'm not I'm not quite sure how's how, how you know how is the situation these days, but everywhere else, especially these days, which like uh, like um, being a colorist is not as hard as you know, like years ago, two thousand nine and two thousand ten, because you had to spend a lot of money and infrastructure to run a studio. But uh, thanks to the development of tech, uh, development uh, of the technology, it's not harder these days. So the competition mm. in the market is higher than before. So you have to you have to work harder. You have to compete harder. You have to. Um, you have to work much, much more than before to re-establish at least yourself. But again, at the end of the day, these are the challenges that, that you accept when you just move to somewhere else. And so the goal is to be successful, but at the end of the day, you have to try. Yeah, I'm totally. Saying, yeah. Totally. I know exactly what you mean. You just have to go into it going like, this will work. Just give it enough time. But, I mean, also speaking about being in a global world, um, my understanding is at the moment that you're working mainly on foreign productions, working remotely and um, working in the cloud a bit as well. So can you tell me a bit about that? Because I think that's a really cool thing that you're able to pick up and move about as far away as possible <laughs> um, and, and still be able to work with your clients over in Istanbul. Yeah, so um, uh, the cloud is just like a savior. So it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore where you are. 
and remote work is like uh, easiest than before. So years ago, you had to have a huge infrastructure to work remotely. But these days, thanks to all the technology, you know, it's much easier. So I still have ties with my clients uh, all around the world. Um, and when they prefer to work with me, for instance, uh, it's not that hard anymore. So I don't have to be in there to work with them. So still, I have ties with uh, projects which is happening in Turkey. So at the moment, I'm working on a Netflix project. Uh, it's a mini series. At the same time, I'm working with a feature film from Germany um, and projects uh, from Australia, not feature films, like mostly commercials. So the whole thing is just much, much easier. And you really don't feel that much difference these days between being in the same location or being far, far away from the location wow. but working with the same people. Uh, it's, it's much easier these days to work remotely. And sometimes it's even better because now, for instance, like my director sits in, a, in his suitable room, which he prefers to be in it, not in a like 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 those those uh um uh, uh i wouldn't say unpleasant situations that you really don't want to be but i would say <laughs> the places he prefers to be and mm. i'm sitting on my favorite chair few thousand thousand kilometers away but we work <laughs> together like we are sitting in the same room so yeah, it's easier, and and I think in the future people would prefer to work remotely, remotely much more than even now it's been practiced these days. Do you have any particular technologies that you utilize for these sessions? Do you use like Zoom or Colorfront or you know re remote monitoring or anything in particular? Yeah, of course. Um, so. Uh, um, so I started the same project. Uh, so when I did the same Netflix project here, when the studio, AZ studio wasn't exist, didn't exist actually. So the first part of the project was happened in PostLab. Uh, and they were using Colorfront solutions for the, um, real time streaming, which was fantastic. I quite liked it. Um, and then Resolve introduced uh, their remote monitoring system, which is also good. And uh, Baselock is also having their own kind of uh, remote monitoring solution. So there are a lot of technologies around and almost all of them are quite reliable. So not quite different from each other, but it's, it's good enough. It's good enough to work with any of those technologies. And how do you handle the issue of different screens? Do you like send an iPad over to your directors or do you just ask that they look at it on something they trust? How do you deal with it? So for, for this particular project that I'm working on, uh, we had a list of possible monitors that they could buy. So they bought almost the same monitors as we have in studio. Oh, great. So we are looking at the same picture. But oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's impossible to control the situation everywhere. Um, but mm. yeah, sometimes iPads are working. Like now, most most of the displays can be can be calibrated 
as much as you know as close as po as possible to the right picture so i would never know that if they are looking at the same exact picture as me but yeah if we follow some instructions at least the pictures are much much closer you know in terms of contrast <laughs> and color and gamut and everything but impossible i mean at least in my situation Oh, it's so good that you've got almost the same monitor or pretty much the same monitor going on because that's the ideal scenario. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you think if both are calibrated, you should be pretty much right. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me, before we wrap up, because I have taken a lot of your time this evening, can you tell me, like, what you think the differences are between these different markets that you've worked in? Is there anything that sort of is glaringly, obviously different between them or are uh, is it just filmmaking, filmmaking everywhere you go? Um, well, this, I think the cinema language is almost the same everywhere. And people also, you know, the contractions, the, you know, like, like the, um, the relationships, the, the talks, the terms are almost the same. But I would say um, um, if I'm, if I'm going to do a, like a, like a, the global comparison between the Iranian and Turkish and Australian cinema, the approach to the picture and the and the final result is a little bit still different. I mean, in terms of everything, in terms of um, the like the whole workflow, which sometimes in in Iranian projects we don't have such a like show lot, so every decision is just like made after during the grading uh, session. In Istanbul, it's a like a 50-50 person. Some some director photographers really like to have their show lots. And in Australia also it's like a 50-50 person, as as my experience. I don't know if it's correct or not, so you know better. But again, you know, the final picture, if I if you just put the same picture from from three different locations, it would be like three different pictures. Uh so the taste of the region mm -hmm. could, be, could be different. But again, um, thanks to the digital platforms, uh, now I think everything just like getting closer to each other because like these are nowadays are the references of the pictures. So everybody wants to follow the same references, which I think is a, not a very good thing, but this is what it is. It's happening. Sure. Yeah, yeah, there does seem to be a bit of convergence going on. Exactly. I mean, I think that just looking at your work, and, and this is something that's hard to know about yourself, but I think you've got a bit of a style, Hooten. I really do. And I think that, you know, when people want you as their colorist, they're probably thinking, I want a little bit of that Hooten flavor on my work. Because when I look at your footage, it's always, you're a very well controlled kind of gamut. You, you shape. Uh, you, your color ranges down and compress them so that there's not a lot of sort of um, disparate kind of colors. You you tend to choose a color scheme, like you usually use a like duotone or tritone complementary color scheme. And I tend to see like lots of cool tones throughout your pictures as well. And you tend to be like low range in the mids usually and you know, you don't do sort of like real poppy bright stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of think to myself that's a hoot and grade if I saw something really bright and poppy. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's hard to know that about about yourself. But 
even with all of these different regional tastes, I think that you're bringing something that's a little bit you to all of them, to be honest. Well, I try to not to do it, but maybe. I know, but it sneaks in, right? (laughs) I mean, when you work on something, even if, if you make something out of wood, you put some some of yourself in it something yeah. something from your soul something from your touch in, impossible not to do that but what i've tried to be as much as possible in the, in the work in the favor of the picture so yeah. um that that was my goal but again you're super right you're 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 absolutely right it's impossible not to not to I think there's just a little a little flavor there, but it's not to say that your work is all the same. I think that you just have a, an aesthetic approach and everyone probably does, but um, I think it's easier to see from a distance than when you're in it. Um, okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, and I, I think it's a really beautiful aesthetic. I'm not, I'm not definitely not saying that, that they're all the same at all. And, of course, you're going to approach them looking for the best things in that picture. Um, but, yeah, you just have a way of shaping your colours uh, that I think is really, it's got a lot of subtlety to it and it's also really painterly and that might be that European influence that comes through because, you know, it's not all, you, you don't use like heavy, you, you know, mid-tone pivoted contrast that has like lots of, you know, highlights and lots of yeah. crunchy blacks. It, it it does have a lot more range to to the image. I notice, and um, I think you also, you know, tend to have that that duo or tritone color palette, and you can have a little bit more saturation in it when you aren't going as hard on the contrast. I think, like these are things that I would say <laughs> from the outside that that's what I see in your work. But it's it's all very beautiful. Thank you so yeah, much. I mean, uh, the first DP, you know, the first lecture that just, just, just like uh, introduced me to the whole world of the post-production, he was one of the most pickiest people in terms of color matching. So we used to work together and in the middle of the picture, he used to say, go to the first shot. And we just jumped to the first shot. Oh, there, this is one point red, reduce it. And mm. it was that accurate. So I learned to be accurate in that terms. But again, you're right. I loved, I loved the European uh, approach to the picture. And I just, it just stick to my mind somewhere in my mind. So um, I really prefer, prefer that, that approach to the picture. But again, yeah, these are, these are happening without you knowing it in your subconscious mind. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, oh, working with somebody who's that that precise, that'd be definitely a good training ground. But I can see how at the end of a long week you might be like, I've had enough of that now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> On that note, I should probably wrap things up because I have taken a lot of your time out this evening. Thank you so much for talking to me, Hooten. It's been absolutely great to get a sense of your um incredible traveling career um so for mixing light this is kaylee bateman thanks very much thank you for having me kaylee it's been an honor to have a chat with you thank you so much <laughs>